I love the fact that we're dealing with uh, summits throughout the entire summer. And uh, when Tom gave me Mount uh, Nebo, I thought maybe a cheesy title would finding Mount Nebo, but that's kind of weird. So uh, I want to get into one word, and it's, I think it's the word that defines this particular uh, set of scriptures, and it's the word uh, perceptive, perceptive, and uh, perception. So when we get into perception, I want you to think about all the different perspectives in life that come our way. And I want to give you a few examples. Here's one that I love. It's a, it's a quote by Timothy Burton, who's kind of quirky in his own way. It says, one person's craziness is another person's reality. So let me give you some examples of perception and what that looks like. Let's look at a perception of a man and a woman going shopping. Now, maybe this is a chart that might help us. Maybe you've seen this. The mission is go to the gap, buy a pair of pants. Can I have an amen out there? Anyone? Yeah, good job. Uh, this is uh, what I call a, the tale of two iPhones. This is my wife's iPhone, some of the pictures, and then my iPhone. So let's look at her picture, show you things that matter most, Christmas or family, prom. And then these are pictures of my iPhone, my priorities. Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure, uh, this is kind of sad. Spring break, my phone uh, got wet and uh, you know, everything went down, and so I had to replace it, my iPhone. On that phone, though, this is back in March, on that phone, I had more pictures of food than my kids. <laughs> is that a problem? I mean, you, you, but I bet, guy, how many guys here take pictures of their food? Am I the only one? Yeah, you're lying. You all do the same thing. Okay. Now, here's the next one I think is interesting perspectives, and that is, these are pictures that I've collected. People have uh, sent to me, and some of them I've taken, and uh, I think you'll enjoy these. Here's the first one. This is from the water tower off of 446, looking out. Isn't that awesome? Here's the next one. Uh, this is from the area near the dam a few years ago when we had that flooding. And if you got up pretty high, you could see that. The next one is, I uh, got a chance with some guys to hike on the AT, a section of it. And this is near Mount Rogers, the highest elevated area there in Virginia. And so this is looking out at an area called the Highlands. And if you were to go to the highest summit in the world, Mount Everett, it would look something like that. Can you imagine that? Now, what do all those pictures of perspective have in common? Well, the answer is simply this. The higher you go, the better the view. And the higher you go, the more expands our horizon. Spiritually, it's the same thing. The higher you climb in your relationship with God, your entire perspectives in life change. And the higher you climb in that relationship with God, everything changes. Every decision that you make should be altered because you're viewing life from a different perspective. Even when you draw your last breath on this earth, your perspective changes the higher you climb. And so we're going to get into what I think is one of the most difficult sections in Scripture because we're going to talk about Moses, and his life is so epic. And when we think of his life, we almost think of it as a movie. But this is a movie I've never seen, and it's a movie where we study the end of the life of Moses. And to really look at that, I think you have to break it into two acts. Act one is the, the, the most important part as we get into this is the rock. So if you'll turn with me over to Numbers chapter 20, the rock. And this is a tough one, starting with verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh, and there Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. 
they quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? Does that sound familiar? Man, have you heard that before out of the Israelites? Well, actually, you've heard it for nearly 40 years. Moses has heard this resounding, why are we out here? I need a drink of water. You know, they're just so whiny. And you can imagine as a leader how this is just wearing on Moses. And then an amazing thing happens. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron went to the assembly to the entrance of the tent. They fell down faceward. It says, the Lord said to Moses, take the staff and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out of it water, and you will bring water out of the rock to the community. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock of Moses, and he said to them. Now, if you're following, this is where you need to highlight a few words. Listen, you rebels, must we, circle that word, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rocks, how often? Twice. And with his staff, water gushed out. And then in verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israel, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. Now let's just pause there as we're talking about perspective and let's be honest. You don't have to raise your hand. How many have ever studied that and thought, that seems a little heavy? I mean, here's Moses who have, has led this group of people to the threshold of the promised land and what he strikes a rock the wrong way and God doesn't even allow him to lead the people into the promised land. That just seems heavy. Matter of fact, here's where it really seems heavy. Um, have you ever, as either a coach or a teacher, or just organizing a group, had one of those groups, do you know what I'm talking about? One of those teams, one of those classes, one of those small group of people that honestly, even if you don't drink, you really want to? Have you ever had one of those? Do you know what I'm saying? This is the kind of group he's dealing with it. Now here's the thing, when you're coaching or you have a class, what's the good news? You don't have them for a long period of time. I mean, you slug through that for maybe a year or so. It's a season. You know, it's a year. Imagine 40 years of this. So what we want to say from our perspective is, God, this is Moses. I mean, shouldn't you give this guy a pass? And really, when I began to pray through this, I realized, I think I understand some of the frustration Moses had. But more importantly, I'm beginning to see why God did this. This was a dramatic act. As the leader of the entire nation, you'll notice the key word, he says, and we will bring water from the rock. In other words, we're not trusting in God anymore. I've just about had it with you people. It's about me and Aaron right now. And God's like, you know what, Moses, your leadership has probably come to an end because you're no longer trusting me. And that's the number one characteristic. I need a leader who will totally trust me. There are three things that affected Moses if you're taking notes. Number one, he had a lack of faith. Hebrews 11:6 6 says it's impossible to please God without faith. But here's number two, uncontrolled anger. 
Uh, I've led a lot of men's Bible studies over the years, and there's two major areas that men struggle with. And I hear this time and time again. Number one is lust. Number two is anger. And I can tell you how difficult it is. And I, I'll tell you, this one really convicts me. When I grew up, and I am still working on this one, um, I had uncontrolled anger. And my mom would call it an Irish temper. Anybody know what an Irish temper is? I would have this, like, explosion, you know, like kick the cat, run my fist through a door, kill somebody, you know, whatever it was. I, I just had this just real quick. And then, actually, I was real calm, you know, like something would be broken. I'd be like, uh, hey, pass the fries. Mom would be like, whoa, what was that all about? I'm like, what? You know, a lot of us can relate to having this temper that just builds up. And can't you almost sense this with Moses? This has been building and building. And you notice how he struck the rock? You ever been there? You stupid Israelites! I'm going to strike it one more time. You know, you can just see him the second time, like, I have just about... And then you can just almost sense God stepping in and saying, you know, Moses, it's, it's time. It's time for transition. Maybe this morning when you came in here, man, there is something at the edge of your life right now. And it took everything in you to drive here this morning, and it is hard. And maybe you're dealing with anger. But ultimately, what was the situation? Well, Moses, like all leaders, if they're not careful, he fell into the trap of pride. Proverbs 15.33 says that humility comes before great honor. And though Moses is known for a man of humility, what is sad is even towards the end of his life, pride took over, which is an example for everybody in here, and especially every leader in here, no matter where you are in life, don't ever, as my mom used to say, get too big for your britches. Don't ever get to a point in your life that you are not constantly surrendering to God because pride can take anybody down. It doesn't matter if you're David or Solomon or Moses. Pride destroys. Let me give you an example of what anger can do and unchecked pride can do. In 19, uh, or excuse me, 2005, David Embry, who is a researcher, uh, thought it was fascinating because people were obsessed with shark attacks leading to death. Matter of fact, Shark Week is coming up here in just a little bit. How many of you are excited about that? Good. Two of you. That's good. I'm glad you're both excited. Well, what I love is people are so obsessed with Shark Week, but in that particular year, 2005, in his surveys, nobody died from a shark attack. But what's interesting, two people did die from tipping soda machines over on themselves <laughs> in rage. Un checked pride. What's interesting, a few years ago is Gordon McDonald, who at the time was the president of InterVarsity, resigned. This is back in the late 1980s. And he resigned because he had had an affair. But one of the things I've always admired about McDonald from that point forward is, number one, he restored his marriage. But number two, he was very transparent about what led not only to the affair, but his own pride that led to the destruction of really uh, his leadership for quite a while. And he said, I was at a, at a breakfast, and there, there was the question that was thrown out there. It says, what's an area of your life that you really feel like you've got a handle on? Now, that's a dangerous question for a room full of ministers because they all want to say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have a handle on anything, you know. But he said, well, I'll tell you what I have a handle on is my marriage. I can't see that Satan could possibly get to my marriage. I mean, our relationship is so solid. And he said it was only a few years after that direct comment that I was surrendering my responsibilities as the president of InterVarsity because of an affair. He said I made a lot of really small 
terrible decisions along the way, but he said, here's the one thing that I didn't realize, and he quoted Oswald Chambers. I realized that an unguarded strength is a double weakness. That an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Anytime you really think you've got your act together, you are setting yourself up for a fall. Wayne Cadero, and I think that's on your bulletin there, a sermon that I recommend called One Thing. He said what he loves about the Bible is that when you read God's Word, there are lessons to learn from the mistakes that others make, and there are examples of success to follow. And God, what I love is he reveals to you, here's Moses, but he's blood, he's flesh, and here's the great things that Moses did. But here's the blind spot, and that's there for all of us. And we need to understand what pride can do. Perspective. There's a lot of things today as a corporate group here we could not agree on. For example, uh, a lot of you have lunch plans, so on the count of three, I want you to yell out what you're going to have for lunch today. Okay, ready? One, two, three. That's pretty boring lunch. Let's try that again. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Uh, not bad. I heard deli. Okay, uh, here's the next one. I want you to shout out your favorite team on the count of three. One, two, three. Good. I heard St. Louis Cardinals. That was good. All right. There's so many things in this room that we could never agree on. But let me tell you, even if you do not believe in God and you came here this morning, I really believe that there's something that 100% of us would agree on, that life can change in a New York minute. And the older you get, the more crystal clear that reality is that life can change just that quick. And we know that. And Moses knew that. When you look over to Deuteronomy 34, he realized that in a New York minute, everything that he knew was going to change. Turn with me over to Deuteronomy 34. It says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo, and from the plains of Moab to the top across from Jericho, and there the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan. Verse 4. And then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised, an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said I will give it to your descendants, I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you'll not cross over to that. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. I want to just pause there because that is such a dramatic scene as God leads Moses from the summit to look out over this promised land. Now, I don't know what Moses was experiencing at that time. I think of all the titles, isn't it interesting, of all the titles given to Moses, it was simply servant of God. But my feeling is, from a human perspective, this would be hard because he realizes this is the summit. This is it. This is everything I've, I've led the Israelites to. This, this is it. And you know, the summit is not an easy place to be. Matter of fact, if you read about extreme hikes, they'll tell you the summit experience is very short. For example, when you get out the top of Mount Everest, you don't have a picnic. You don't have a good time. It's a very short time that you're actually at the summit. But the summit can actually be a dangerous, dangerous place. Tom was talking about dates that you'll never forget, days that you'll never forget, and uh, I know I'm getting old because yesterday I remembered where I was 44 years ago, and it was on a Sunday. I remember everybody at church talking about it, 
And I remember everybody at Save Mart talking about it when we went shopping. And I remember that night on black and white TV watching these guys walk on the moon. And man, it had an impact on me. Now, I was not the sharpest crayon in the box <laughs> when I was nine. So I took my little telescope out in the yard and I'm looking at the moon. Now, I really, I mean, I know I wasn't going to see these guys. But there was just a connection like, they're walking on the moon. I remember going inside, I'm like, Mom, they're walking on the moon. And, you know, she's like, sit down, you know. And, and uh, I just could not comprehend that. Can you imagine that emotion? One of the men, the second man who walked, Buzz Aldrin, his life when he got home unraveled. He fell into deep depression. He was addicted to alcohol. Uh, he was selling used cars until he wrecked so many cars he was fired. He went through two marriages, and then he finally woke up and realized, I've got the wrong perspective. Here's his own words. My life was highly structured. There was always an existing major goal of one sort or another. I'd excelled academically at the top of all my schools and classes I attended my entire life, but finally there had been the most important goal of all, and I had realized it. I had gone to the moon. But what now? I was suffering from what the poets described as the melancholy of all things done. You understand what he's saying? I reached this summit and as far as the world is considered, as, as concerned, I'm, this is as good as it's going to get. I mean, I can't, how could I ever top that experience? And we see this time and time again. I don't know if you've uh, seen some of the data that's come out on multi-million dollar ball players that are bankrupt. Why does that happen? Don't you ever scratch your head and go, how in the world does that happen? It's because you want this summit and you want to live in that summit and you want the world to give you that summit. And guess what? That summit doesn't exist. It is empty. And I really believe God allowed Moses to see this because he was saying, Moses, here's the thing. This is the land that I promised the Israelites. Do you understand that? This is the land I promised the Israelites, but this is not the promised land. This isn't the promised land. In a New York minute, you're going to experience the promised land. And what's amazing, that's for all of us. And when you accept Jesus Christ, that's your promise. It doesn't matter how great any vacation you have ever taken. It doesn't compare to what's next. This isn't the promised land. Man, everybody in this room, I hope you realize this isn't it. I don't know what perspective you brought in this morning, but if you think something on earth is going to top what God has prepared for us, you're crazy. You are absolutely crazy. That's the perspective God wants all of us to cling to. A few weeks ago, um, we had a Bible study at the Cloverleaf restaurant, and we were talking about the breath of God, how his spirit moves, and it says like the breath. And we talked about in Ezekiel, if you remember, the valley of dry bones. And it said, here's all these dry bones, and the breath of God came over the dry bones, and all of a sudden they all came alive. And we're like, can you imagine what that would have been like? I said, now... How in the world would you describe that emotion? I mean, how could you possibly describe what Ezekiel was experiencing? I mean, how, could, how would you describe that? And I remember Janet Wingard. 
uh, Tobin's wife, Janet, said this, and man, it really, it was just one of those moments that just really stuck with me. She said, John, when I think about the breath of God, I think about two things that happen. And as you get older, you experience these two things. She said, the first is the first time you're in a waiting room and you're holding that first baby the first time. And you're holding this little baby and that baby takes his first breath. And people have told you, this is the most amazing thing. And then you go and you hold that baby and you go, this is the most amazing thing. Is that not? I remember Rachel with her little pink hat and I'm like, this is awesome. Like the nurses didn't know that. This is awesome. Have you ever seen this? They got this. I mean, just that un unbelievable. But there's something else about the breath of God. It's even more sobering. As you get older, it's when you're in the room with somebody you love with all your heart and they draw their last breath. And there was a silence in the room and Janet said, I would call that sacred. That's probably the emotion and the word that I would lean on. Sacred. And I think she was spot on. The first breath and the last breath, they're sacred. And they're sacred because of what God has done for us. So you know, every Sunday morning we have communion, and every Sunday morning we have an invitation. I was thinking about this. What are we inviting you to do? Here's the bottom line. If you don't know Christ, and you're struggling with, if I were to die, what would happen? I know that sounds like a heavy-handed preacher. Here you go again, but I seriously, I want you to think about it. If, if you were on the very summit that Moses was, and God said, this is it, do you know him? That's the invitation, because if you don't know him, do something about it. And for some of you this morning, your hearts are just heavy. You're just heavy because life has weighed you down. And maybe you're like, man, I need a different perspective in life. I just need somebody to pray with me, and that's what we're here for. We just want to pray with you, because you know what? We're all in this thing together. And I want you to think about how important those decisions and how critical this invitation really is.